If you are sick of oppressive religious systems, but are not willing to let go of faith altogether, this podcast is for you. In this show, we hear from inspirational people tackling real issues of faith that actually matter in this world. Welcome to Jesus Never Ran. The church is wrong to argue that the Bible justifies any sort of discrimination, oppression, marginalization of those who are not straight. Well, the reason why you ain't got no black folks in your congregation is because we don't show up to places where we're not welcome, and we know we're not welcome based off the conversations you demand that we don't have because of the questions you insist on us not asking because of the answers you don't want to live. And the idea that the best being in the universe can't come up with a better solution to the problems of the universe than to torture people forever, eternally, you just start thinking, if that's as good as God is, this is a pretty depressing universe. Hey, before we get going, a couple of words from our sponsors. Rise Nutrition. You can find them at Rise Menominee on Facebook. That's Rise with a Z. And they're all about a healthier, happier life. So let their wellness coaches give you the personal support to help you achieve your wellness goals. After all, that is their mission. And here's the thing, just for Jesus Never Ran listeners, if you go to their Facebook page, you can message them and get a free wellness profile. That's a 20-minute phone conversation, absolutely free for Jesus Never Ran listeners. So check them out today. Also, Infinity Beverages at www.infinitybeverages.com. They will deliver anything you need right to your door. And don't forget that Thursday is buy one, get one for club members if you're in the Claire, Wisconsin area. That's Infinity Beverages at www.infinitybeverages.com. Hey everyone, I am hoping that you recovered from last week because that was a lot to take in. Xavier Ramey, so spectacular, so much so that we have him back this week for another episode. Now, if you missed last week, make sure that you go back and listen to it. But he talked a lot about his backstory and really what makes him the person that he is today and the powerhouse in the area of social justice and racial justice today. This episode, we're going to hear more about what his organization, Justice Informed, what the work that they're doing is and how it's impacting our world today. So let me introduce you again to Mr. Xavier Ramey. So Justice Informed is a consulting firm. Uh, Consulting firms by nature sell ideas. Well, really we sell strategies, but those strategies, I like to work people backwards. So my job is to really understand words, really understand words, Uh, because words are the variables that allow for people to have ideas. When you think about why it's so important to teach kids new words and expand their vocabulary, it's because there's a lot of stuff in the world And the thing about humans is they get ideas once they can understand how to understand something. If I know that this is a clock and a clock is made of parts, then perhaps I can make a better clock. But if all I see is a circle with some sticks on it pointing in different directions, and I don't know that there's a thing called mechanics, I don't know that there's a thing called engineering, I don't have a name for it, then I'm just just punching in the dark. And so words are really, really important. And that's why when I see it, particularly from the Christian conservative right, their insistence that we not have more words, I see it as a call to generality that is simply a desire 
for the maintenance of violent systems that are held in darkness so that you can't name what is hitting us. Anti-racism is a more specific word than multiculturalism. Equity is more specific than diversity. Righteousness is more specific than nice. There's a need to get specific here, y'all. Clarity is found in power, not in the general application of confusion or an insistence on not having questions. And so my work at Justice Informed fundamentally, uh, I believe, is about light and life. It's about illumination first by being very, very specific about our words. And so I use words to then create ideas. The ideas move through our two pillars. The two pillars of Justice Informed Consulting are relational specificity. So we're always going to be specific with our clients and about what we're talking about. If we're talking about white people, we are going to use the word white. If we're talking about indigenous people, we're going to use the word indigenous. We're not going to dilute it under the terminology people. We're going to be very specific at every single point. If this is work that we're, we're doing to create gender parity within a company, we are going to say gender. We're not going to say race. We're going to be hyper-specific. Relational specificity is a form of clarity, and clarity allows for power. And then secondly, we move through my own principles of invitation, which is what I saw when I started Justice Informed. I was studying the different gospels and looking at Christ's methodology, and I noticed at the end of everything, he was serving as a model that had an invitation. There was a model that had an invitation, a model that had an invitation. Justice Informed seeks to be a model of what it means to be a company that is specifically here to create opportunities and safety and pathways and visibility for people who are marginalized or minoritized in this country and to ensure that the means of production that they engage in when they go to work as well as the returns to production, their wages, their salaries, their livelihoods, their neighborhoods, are things that are within their control and that are given to them in ways that are equitable. But we do that by inviting people in. That means that Justice Informed has to be a company that models what it seeks to see more of in the world, in the same way that Christ was a model for what God sought to see more of in the world. But he did that knowing that every human has a right to decline. And so everything we do and say is not an indictment. It's simply the establishment of a standard. You don't have to accept the standard. The standard is what it is. We use data to establish the validation for our standards. I don't get emotional about talking about you know, wage discrepancies between men and women. And I don't get emotional about the difference between what white women make versus what uh, Latino women make. The data is what it is. I invite you to also not get all up in arms about it and to get more excited about doing something about it. At Justice Informed, we're excited about doing stuff about it. We're not excited about feeling something about it. We're excited about doing something about it. I really appreciate that perspective. And I will say this. Emotions have a great place in our world. God gave us emotions. We need to use them. We need to experience them, enjoy them, all of that good stuff. But the reality is 
that we can't allow them to rule our decision-making processes, especially on important issues like racial justice in our culture today. Too much emotional outbursts, too many people running off of sheer emotion in our culture right now. And what we need, as Xavier put it so well, we need to look at the data, which is there for us, which Justice Informed is helping us with, look at that data and respond appropriately. We don't need emotion to do that. We just need to know the facts. But here is the thing. This is not easy work. It's not easy to separate your emotion from this. It's almost impossible. But we need to do the hard work that it's going to take because we're not in a healthy place right now and we've got so much work to do. So we have to buckle down and do the difficult work that's in front of us. It's not easy work. It's hard work. Um, It's work of the heart. And the heart is the capacity of every human. And so our work fundamentally is to grow the hearts of people, which is the human heart is the most violent place of opportunity you'll ever seek to reside in. It is a violent place of opportunity. Uh, Again, opportunity because there's an invitation. You don't have to accept this. Um, But I hope that it looks better than whatever you have accepted. And I hope that you accept it because uh, humanity lies in the balance. Uh, so who, who asked for Justice Informed and why do they do it? Um, we've never sought out clients. <laughs> we've never, I have never gone out there like, hi, would you like to work with, except for maybe the first month or two. I will say that, let me, let me, let me circle back to the humble beginnings. Um, you know, back when we were doing $300 contracts and you know, I was trying to figure out what our model was and it was literally just me and an intern. Um, and I was working off of my iPad in my car. <laughs> uh, in marketing, they call it attraction-based marketing, right? So uh, don't go out there trying to sell to everybody. Go out there and speak about how awesome something is and see who it attracts. And so that's what I started doing. And what I found was a message about anti-racism rather than non-racism, a message about equity rather than diversity, a message about centering people who are marginalized or minoritized rather than talking about getting along resonates with a lot of people who've been waiting for a more urgent, (laughs) more disciplined, more costly, and more beneficial way of doing the work of social impact work. And they're out there. And I remember making that all the people who were telling me, Xavier, you're never going to get people. No, who the heck is going to pay you to tell them they're doing it wrong? Who is going to, you think, you really think that there are people who are men who are running companies who want to sit around and listen to how they're not paying their women employees well? You really think they're going to sign up for that? You think there are white people who want to hear about race day in and day out? You really think there are companies who want to think about their global supply chain and how it's baked in slavery and all of this? You really think somebody's going to pay you to do that? And I was like, you know what? I know that there are people who are dissatisfied. And I know that there are people who want more out of life. And it starts with the definitions they accept. And so I started running my mouth. I started talking, talking, talking. I started doing podcasts like this. I started trying to find keynote opportunities. I started writing, writing, writing about what I felt the world needed to be and the types of strategies to get us there that I had been utilizing in small ways in the past throughout my many different jobs. But now as an entrepreneur, as a founder, 
I got to accept the consequences of my truth, which is what entrepreneurship is. It's taking on the consequences of your truth. And what a lot of people said was the consequences will be economic failure. And the consequences have actually been peace in my heart and revenues in our, in our bank account. The consequences of my truth. Why? Because this is the time in our country for this type of work. My father tried to build a company like Justice Informed, and it failed, and we buried him under it. And now it's my time, and now it's our time. And there are black people who are standing on the, on the statutory realities of the Civil Rights Act who are now saying the social order must change as the legal order has changed. You can't talk to me like that. You do have to acknowledge that this person is indigenous, not an immigrant. And so stop saying that crap about we're a nation of immigrants. We are here because of the pillage of slavery. And that has had an effect and that has created the hood. And that is walking into your office every day when you have black employees. And so you do have to deal with that in the workplace. Now, let's talk about how we work together, not if we work together. Matt, the demand is ridiculously high. I cannot keep enough. I can't staff up fast enough right now. 20 years ago, people would have laughed at you. But now it's time. In the same way that people who would have talked about the internet and websites in 1960 probably would have got laughed out of the room, but wait till 1998. And now it's time. And so the time for changing the, the social order and growing a level of emotional dexterity and a notion of mutual accountability to one another, the beloved kingdom requires that we see each other, not just tolerate each other that we understand each other and that we account for what, we, what one has that another doesn't, where some given us 30, some 60, some 90 fold, each according to what they can carry. And we account for that. And we count it not as a loss. We see it all, considering it all, as James said, consider it all joy. It's time for this. And so there's no need, I, look, I'm, I'm not looking for clients. I'm looking for people who are ready to pick some of this harvest because the workers are few. There are not many people I found who prepared for this type of work, partly because they believed what everybody said when they said the world would never want it. I didn't believe that. And now that time has come. And now I'm looking for harvesters. That's my biggest issue, finding people who are actually ready to do the work. We've been walking through the forest with blood on our hands, we got lost. In such a foreign land where we could be free We could be free As I think about the work that Justice Informed does, I guess one of the questions that I have is, you know, how do we as human beings, how do we as companies, how do we as organizations in this country, how do we get to that point where we're humble enough to actually bring an organization like Justice Informed in? How do we get to a place where we're willing to admit that we need help? Before you can face a mirror, you have to have an epiphany. You have to see something that causes you to doubt yourself because your lack of self-doubt as a company is why you weren't looking in the mirror. You thought you were fine. This is like a spiritual process. Same thing with people. Why would I look in the mirror if I think I'm already great? Why would I critique my processes? Why would I analyze my, my actions? Why would I put a microscope over my activities when I think I'm already good? I'm nice. 
I don't call anybody the N word. I don't call women B's and H's and I don't, I don't, you know, cuss out people. I'm, I'm nice. What are you talking about? There's no injustice here. I'm a nice person. That's a hard conversation to have. So we often start by saying, look, the first thing you would want to do is to have an assessment. If you can get your company to agree to pay for essentially like in the medical field, a diagnosis where our team comes in and we simply, we can either do a cultural assessment or we can do a practice assessment. A cultural assessment, we're just going to talk to the staff. We're going to talk to the staff. We're going to hold focus groups. We're going to use digital surveys to gather data about the experiences and the conditions and the expectations of this company and its people so that we can then understand what is missing. Once we understand what is missing, we can, as facilitators and practitioners, assign a diagnosis, which is to now say, now what do you do about what's missing? And so we can then give you that roadmap or that action plan to start to turn these things around relative to the data that we've taken from all of your employees' experience. Part of the challenge of working, about working against injustice is that a lot of people don't want to move until there's consensus. Um, and then companies don't want to move until they know that uh, an issue of, of uh, injustice is systemic rather than exception, an exception. So if one person is upset, most companies don't care. But if 50 people are upset, they'll see a pattern and they'll say, hey, maybe this isn't just a risk. Maybe this is a threat to us. We need to deal with this. And so that's also part of the challenge when I talked about earlier around what does it cost for you to learn? Sometimes one dead black man isn't enough. You need 50 over the course of 10 years. Like there's a different cost that you require to learn something that's still true, whether you accept it or not. And that's often, again, this comfort, this need for greater confirmation of pain uh, is often the challenge. And so to that individual employee, I lament for them because, um, you know, oftentimes it, it will take more sacrifice before people will say there ever was one. That's human nature. That's, that's what we did with Christ. That's what we did with God. God, you know, you, you can read all of the Old Testament. You can look at the sacrifice. You can look at the intention. You can look at the love, the joy, the provision. You can look at all of that. And, and then people still stood up and said, we need more blood. Manufacture crucifixion so we can ignore that too. We often think about social justice, racial injustice. We think of these things as just social problems, issues in our society at large. But what Xavier is doing a great job of beginning to pull out, he did it in the last episode, he's doing it in this episode now as well, is that he's pulling out that this is deeper than that. This actually is a spiritual issue. At the heart of our issues of injustice are issues of spirituality, our issues with our belief in God, our issues with our understanding of God. Let's, go, let's look at this, this spiritual word, wonder. When we think about creation, we think about love. I always think about this word wonder. It's just wonderful. It's just wonder. It's so big. It's, and you don't have all the answers. And you can't figure it out. You're trying to like understand. And, 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 and the, the, the challenge is like everything that God has made for us, it's revealed to you. It's not deposited. It's revealed. But it's only revealed once you accept the invitation and then start to take real steps in the work so that you can move from holding 30 to holding 60 to holding 90 while not being upset 
because you don't hold 90 while you're only capable of holding 30, but also having the, the humility to understand that you don't know it all. And that's the thing that just boggles my mind about white America. I ask people all the time, have you spent five hours this year, five hours this year, actually sitting down and listening to African-Americans about issues of racial injustice and policing? Not Candace Owens, not the black guy that Trump hired. The 91% of black folks that didn't vote like the 60 some odd percent of white folks did for our federal leader. Don't listen to, again, confirmation bias is real. Confirmation, is a, confirmation bias is a type of implicit bias where you only seek the information that confirms what you already believe. In order for me to believe what I believe, I had to go to the South and talk to people who were white. I had to go to the Dakotas and talk to people who wanted to explain to me why the Klan wasn't that bad and the Aryan Nation wasn't really that bad. It was just guys in a social club. And I had to sit there and try to understand how they had assigned so much value to a thing they hadn't studied, just something they believed, something they hadn't really considered. They just thought about it and then went with that. Like, the challenge really is saying, you know, if the Bible says study to show yourself approved, why are people showing up to conversations, no study, feeling like they're approved on the basis of how they feel about it? Literally on the basis of how they feel about it. In the face of something that's always been true, that the Bible says is true, literally says the poor will always be with you. People say that and act like it means that, well, you, you'll never fix it all. Let's talk about the, the, um, you know, the starfish floating up on this, the coast. And, you know, one, you pick one, you throw it out there, and then you look, and the whole beach is full of starfish. You can't do it all. Like, you, don't, you just, just like, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop finding these ways to dodge our relationships and our mutual accountability to one another. Stop it. Stop, stop, stop it. It's not love. It's not real. It's fear. You're afraid of learning. You're afraid of feeling. You're afraid of growing. You're afraid of being. You're afraid of telling your friends that you can't say that type of stuff about people you've never met. You're afraid. It's just, you, I can just hear it. I hear it so often. We have, a, we have the right to be afraid. The Bible says that. There's a lot in the world to be afraid of. We have no right to fear. We have no right to it. No righteous right to it. The Bible says over and over and over and over again, fear not. Fear not. Be strong and very courageous. But then it also says, I send you out as a sheep amongst the wolves. It says the prophet is not welcome in his hometown. It says, I send you out as a prophet these people who won't believe you so at least they'll know that a prophet walked amongst them and they rejected him so how should you think about their roi on your spiritual work you should expect to be rejected the wisdom of god is foolishness to men you should be you should expect to be rejected <laughs> everything in there is saying you shouldn't feel comfortable talking about this and we have people who stop at the cries for the poor should not be heard because talking about why they're poor makes me uncomfortable. The cries of the imprisoned black man should not be heard 
because thinking about why specifically African-Americans are incarcerated makes me feel uncomfortable. And because they're white and they say, I feel a thing, we all have to listen to it. I believe that the voice of God always resides with the oppressed. I think it's hard to deny that. So the question we have to ask ourselves in the midst of our current reality is, are we listening to the voice of God by listening to the voices of those who are being trampled on in our culture right now? Are we accepting that voice or are we rejecting that voice? The way that we reject God is the same way we rejected George Floyd. The same demand that we had for blood was the same demand that we had for his death. The same reason, the lack of believing, a thing that has always been true, refusing to listen to the cries of the poor, leaning onto our own understanding and demanding a cost for our learning is what allowed for eight minutes and 46 seconds of death that has always been happening, that some people are still saying isn't enough death for them to believe it's been murder. That's the real. Well, the reason why you ain't got no black folks in your congregation is because when they show up, they're called politics and we don't show up to places where we're not welcome. And we know we're not welcome based off the conversations you demand that we don't have because of the questions you insist on us not asking because of the answers you don't want to live. Any person of faith still has to ask the question, what questions do I not want to ask? You have to ask yourself the question. You have to see where you insist God not be. That's why I say you have no right to fear because fear is where you demand that God have no answers for questions you don't want to ask yourself because you fear what you would have to become because the type of love we're talking about, it forces a decision from anybody who encounters this type of love. You will have to decide what is the extent and the purpose of this love. Hunger and thirst after justice, hunger and thirst, not after niceness, after justice. I just really feel, and I'm just going to speak for myself, I just really feel like we have to take this time to, to really think about our lives, about where we stand, about how we're responding to things that are happening in our world right now. We're coming up on election season. I think we have to ask ourselves the question of why we're planning to the vote the way that we are. Is it because of things we want for ourselves or is it because of things that we want for the least of these? I think there's a lot to, to chew on after listening to Xavier both this week and last week. One final question, and it's a question that I have pretty deep within me right now. What is your hope? Xavier, what is your hope for the future of our country? That is safe enough for people who look like me, and we believe it. That's it. I hope that this country is safe enough for a black man and that black man believes it. That is that is safe and prosperous enough for a black woman and she believes it. That is safe and prosperous enough for a trans child and they believe it. That is safe and prosperous enough for an indigenous person and they believe it. Because right now we live in a, situ in a situation where we're being told what you think your life is is not your life. Your life is much better. We actually need to go back to the time when America was great because you could have been greater than you are right now. So let's make it great again. We're literally being told what our life is and it's being shoveled down our throat 
as if we are disillusioned and have been tricked by the Democrats to not understand the beauty of a thing that has been a horror to so many people. And the moment we say it was, they say we're not patriotic. He's calling out for a higher form of relationship. And that's what we're leaving on the table. And that's why, Matt, to go back to your very first thing, to button this up, the very first thing you asked me was, how do we get people to understand the difference between the individual interpretation of racism versus the systemic understanding? And I said, the first thing you have to agree is that we're all connected. And by demanding that we not even speak about the nature of our relationship, you are insisting on a perpetuation of a disconnection. And you are demanding on, the, on your terms, on the terms of whatever privilege and power that you have, that there not even be a discussion about it, but that you simply continue to endure whatever I say the relationship should be. And I want to live in a country where I feel like the relationship is actually one where I'm safe and I'm seen and I'm heard and I get to define whether this is a relationship of safety and seenness and being heard. Special thanks to Xavier Ramey. Check him out at XavierRamey.com and learn more about Justice Informed at JusticeInformed.com. Of course, you can support this podcast by subscribing, giving it a five-star rating, and writing a review. For the next couple of weeks, I talked to Shane Claiborne about gun violence, the death penalty, and wait for it, politics. Until then... Keep walking.